Pope John Paul II, The Gospel of Life, Chapter 4, Part 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has not works? Serving the Gospel of Life. By virtue of our sharing in Christ's royal mission, our support and promotion of human life must be accomplished through the service of charity, which finds expression in personal witness, various forms of volunteer work, social activity, and political commitment. This is a particularly pressing need at the present time, when the culture of death so forcefully opposes the culture of life, and often seems to have the upper hand. But even before that, it is a need which springs from faith working through love. As the letter of James admonishes us, What does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but has not works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is ill-clad and in lack of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. In our service of charity, we must be inspired and distinguished by a specific attitude. We must care for the other person as a person for whom God has made us responsible. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to become neighbors to everyone and to show special favor to those who are poorest, most alone, and most in need. In helping the hungry, the thirsty, the foreigner, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, as well as the child in the womb and the old person who is suffering or near death, we have the responsibility and the opportunity to serve Jesus. He himself said, As you did it to one of the least of these brethren, you did it to me. Hence, we cannot but feel called to account and judged by the ever-relevant words of St. John Chrysostom. Quote, Do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Do not neglect it when you find it naked. Do not do it homage here in the church with silk fabrics, only to neglect it outside, where it suffers cold and nakedness. Where life is involved, the service of charity must be profoundly consistent. It cannot tolerate bias and discrimination, for human life is sacred and inviolable at every stage and in every situation. It is an indivisible good. We need then to show care for all life and for the life of everyone. Indeed, at an even deeper level, we need to go to the very roots of life and love. It is this deep love for every man and woman which has given rise down the centuries to an outstanding history of charity, a history which has brought into being in the church and society many forms of service to life which evoke admiration from all unbiased observers. Every Christian community with a renewed sense of responsibility must continue to write this history through various kinds of pastoral and social activity. To this end, appropriate and effective programs of support for new life must be implemented with special closeness to mothers who, even without the help of the father, are not afraid to bring their child into the world and to raise it. 
Similar care must be shown for the life of the marginalized or suffering, especially in its final phases. All of this involves a patient and fearless work of education aimed at encouraging one and all to bear each other's burdens. It requires a continuous promotion of vocations to service, particularly among the young. It involves the implementation of long-term practical projects and initiatives inspired by the gospel. Many are the means toward this end, which need to be developed with skills and serious commitment. At the first stage of life, centers for natural methods of regulating fertility should be promoted as a valuable help to responsible parenthood in, in which all individuals, and in the first place the child, are recognized and respected in their own right, and where every decision is guided by the ideal of the sincere gift of self. Marriage and family counseling agencies, by their specific work of guidance and prevention, carried out in accordance with an anthropology consistent with the Christian vision of the person, of the couple, and of sexuality, also offer valuable help in rediscovering the meaning of love and life, and in supporting and accompanying every family in its mission as the sanctuary of life. Newborn life is also served by centers of assistance and homes or centers where new life receives a welcome. Thanks to the work of such centers, many unmarried mothers and couples in difficulty discover new hope and find assistance and support in overcoming hardship and the fear of accepting a newly conceived life or life which has just come into the world. When life is challenged by conditions of hardship, maladjustment, sickness, or rejection, other programs such as communities for treating drug addiction, residential communities for minors or the mentally ill, care and relief centers for AIDS patients, associations for solidarity, especially toward the disabled, are eloquent expressions of what charity is able to devise in order to give everyone new reasons for hope and practical possibilities for life. And when earthly existence draws to a close, it is again charity which finds the most appropriate means for enabling the elderly, especially those who can no longer look after themselves, and the terminally ill to enjoy genuine humane assistance and to receive an adequate response to their needs, in particular their anxiety and their loneliness. In these cases, the role of families is indispensable. Yet families can receive much help from social welfare agencies and, if necessary, from recourse to palliative care, taking advantage of suitable medical and social services available in public institutions or in the home. In particular, the role of hospitals, clinics, and convalescent homes needs to be reconsidered. These should not merely be institutions where care is provided for the sick or the dying. Above all, they should be places where suffering, pain, and death are acknowledged and understood in their human and specifically Christian meaning. This must be especially evident and effective in institutes staffed by religious or in any way connected with the church. Agencies and centers of service to life and all other initiatives of support and solidarity, which circumstances may from time to time suggest, need to be directed by people who are generous in their involvement and fully aware of the importance of the gospel of life for the good of individuals and society. A unique responsibility belongs to healthcare personnel, doctors, pharmacists, nurses, chaplains, 
men and women religious, administrators and volunteers. Their profession calls for them to be guardians and servants of human life. In today's cultural and social context in which science and the practice of medicine risk losing sight of their inherent ethical dimension, healthcare professionals can be strongly tempted at times to become manipulators of life or even agents of death. In the face of this temptation, their responsibility today is greatly increased. Its deepest inspiration and strongest support lie in the intrinsic and undeniable ethical dimension of the healthcare profession, something already recognized by the ancient and still relevant Hippocratic Oath, which requires every doctor to commit himself to absolute respect for human life and its sacredness. Absolute respect for every innocent human life also requires the exercise of conscientious objection in relation to procured abortion and euthanasia. Causing death can never be considered a form of medical treatment, even when the intention is solely to comply with the patient's request. Rather, it runs completely counter to the healthcare profession, which is meant to be an impassioned and unflinching affirmation of life. Biomedical research, too, a field which promises great benefits for humanity, must always reject experimentation, research, or applications which disregard the inviolable dignity of the human being and thus cease to be at the service of people and become instead means which, under the guise of helping people, actually harm them. Volunteer workers have a specific role to play. They make a valuable contribution to the service of life when they combine professional ability and generous, selfless love. The gospel of life inspires them to lift their feelings of goodwill towards others to the height of Christ's charity. To renew every day, amid hard work and weariness, their awareness of the dignity of every person. To search out people's needs, and when necessary, to set out on new paths where needs are greater but care and support weaker. If charity is to be realistic and effective, it demands that the gospel of life be implemented also by means of certain forms of social activity and commitment in the political field as a way of defending and promoting the value of life in our ever more complex and pluralistic societies. Individuals, families, groups, and asso associations, albeit for different reasons and in different ways, all have a responsibility for shaping society and developing cultural, economic, political, and legislative projects, which with respect for all and in keeping with democratic principles, will continue to the, will contribute to the building of a society in which the dignity of each person is recognized and protected, and the lives of all are defended and enhanced. This task is the particular responsibility of civil leaders. Called to serve the people and the common good, they have a duty to make courageous choices in support of life, especially through legislative measures. In a democratic system where laws and decisions are made on the basis of the consensus of many, the sense of personal responsibility in the consciences of individuals invested with authority may be weakened. But no one can ever renounce this responsibility, especially when he or she has a legislative or decision-making mandate which calls that person to answer to God, to his or her own conscience, and to the whole of society for choices which may be contrary to the common good. 
Although laws are not the only means of protecting human life, nevertheless, they do play a very important and sometimes decisive role in influencing patterns of thought and behavior. I repeat once more that a law which violates an innocent person's natural right to life is unjust and as such is not valid as a law. For this reason, I urgently appeal once more to all political leaders not to pass laws which, by disregarding the dignity of the person, undermine the very fabric of society. The Church well knows that it is difficult to mount an effective legal defense of life in pluralistic democracies because of the presence of strong cultural currents with differing outlooks. At the same time, certain that moral truth cannot fail to make its presence deeply felt in every conscience, the Church encourages political leaders, starting with those who are Christians, not to give in, but to make those choices which, taking into account what is realistically attainable, will lead to the reestablishment of a just order in the defense and promotion of the value of life. Here it must be noted that it is not enough to remove unjust laws. The underlying causes of attacks on life have to be eliminated, especially by ensuring proper support for families and motherhood. A family policy must be the basis and driving force of all social policies. For this reason, there need to be set in place social and political initiatives capable of guaranteeing conditions of true freedom of choice in matters of parenthood. It is also necessary to rethink labor, urban, residential, and social service policies so as to harmonize working schedules with time available for the family so that it becomes effectively possible to take care of children and the elderly. Today, an important part of policies which favor life is the issue of population growth. Certainly, public authorities have a responsibility to intervene to orient the demography of the population. But such interventions must always take into account and respect the primary and inalienable responsibility of married couples and families and cannot employ methods which fail to respect the person and fundamental human rights, beginning with the right to life of every innocent human being. It is therefore morally unacceptable to encourage, let alone impose, the use of methods such as contraception, sterilization, and abortion in order to regulate births. The ways of solving the population problem are quite different. Governments and the various international agencies must above all strive to create economic, social, public health, and cultural conditions, which will enable married couples to make their choices about procreation in full freedom and with genuine responsibility. They must then make efforts to ensure greater opportunities and a fairer distribution of wealth so that everyone can share equitably in the goods of creation. Solutions must be sought on the global level by establishing a true economy of communion and sharing of goods in both the national and international order. This is the only way to respect the dignity of persons and families, as well as the authentic cultural patrimony of peoples. Service to the gospel of life is thus an immense and complex task. This service increasingly appears as a valuable and fruitful area for positive cooperation with our brothers and sisters of other churches and ecclesial communities in accordance with the practical ecumenism which the Second Vatican Council authoritatively encouraged. 
It also appears as a providential area for dialogue and joint efforts with the followers of other religions and with all people of goodwill. No single person or group has a monopoly on the defense and promotion of life. These are everyone's task and responsibility. On the eve of the third millennium, the challenge facing us is an arduous one. Only the concerted efforts of all those who believe in the value of life can prevent a setback of unforeseeable consequences for civilization. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table, the family as the sanctuary of life. Within the people of life and the people for life, the family has a decisive responsibility. This responsibility flows from its very nature as a community of life and love founded upon marriage and for its mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love. Here it is a matter of God's own love, of which parents are co-workers and, as it were, interpreters when they transmit life and raise it according to his fatherly plan. This is the love that becomes selflessness, receptiveness, and gift. Within the family, each member is accepted, respected, and honored precisely because he or she is a person. And if any family member is in greater need, the care which he or she receives is all the more intense and attentive. The family has a special role to play throughout the life of its members from birth to death. It is truly the sanctuary of life, the place in which the life, the gift of God, can be properly welcomed and protected against the many attacks to which it is exposed and can develop in accordance with what constitutes authentic human growth. Consequently, the role of the family in building a culture of life is decisive and irreplaceable. As the domestic church, the family is summoned to proclaim, celebrate, and serve the gospel of life. This is a responsibility which first concerns married couples, called to be givers of life, on the basis of an ever greater awareness of the meaning of procreation as a unique event which clearly reveals that human life is a gift received in order then to be given as a gift. In giving origin to a new life, parents recognize that the child, as the fruit of their mutual gift of love, is in turn a gift for both of them, a gift which flows from them. It is above all in raising children that the family fulfills its mission to proclaim the gospel of life. By word and example, in the daily round of relations and choices, and through concrete actions and signs, parents lead their children to authentic freedom, actualized in the sincere gift of self, and they cultivate in them respect for others, a sense of justice, cordial openness, dialogue, generous service, solidarity, and all the other values which help people to live life as a gift. In raising children, Christian parents must be concerned about their children's faith and help them to fulfill the vocation God has given them. The parents' mission as educators also includes teaching and giving their children an example of the true meaning of suffering and death. They will be able to do this if they are sensitive to all kinds of suffering around them, and even more if they succeed in fostering attitudes of closeness, assistance, and sharing towards sick or elderly members of the family. The family celebrates the gospel of life through daily prayer, both individual prayer and family prayer. The family prays in order to glorify and give thanks to God for the gift of life 
and implores his light and strength in order to face times of difficulty and suffering without losing hope. But the celebration which gives meaning to every other form of prayer and worship is found in the family's actual daily life together, if it is a life of love and self-giving. This celebration thus becomes a service to the gospel of life, expressed through solidarity as experienced within and around the family in the form of concerned, attentive, and loving care shown in the humble, ordinary events of each day. A particularly significant expression of solidarity between families is a willingness to adopt or take in children abandoned by their parents or in situations of serious hardship. True parental love is ready to go beyond the bonds of flesh and blood in order to accept children from other families, offering them whatever is necessary for their well-being and full development. Among the various forms of adoption, consideration should be given to adoption at a distance, preferable in cases where the only reason for giving up the child is the extreme poverty of the child's family. Through this type of adoption, parents are given the help needed to support and raise their children without their being uprooted from their natural environment. As a firm and persevering determination to commit oneself to the common good, solidarity also needs to be practiced through participation in social and political life. Serving the gospel of life thus means that the family, particularly through its membership of family associations, works to ensure that the laws and institutions of the state in no way violate the right to life from conception to natural death, but rather protect and promote it. Special attention must be given to the elderly, while in some cultures, older people remain a part of the family with an important and active role. In others, the elderly are regarded as a useless burden and are left to themselves. Here, the temptation to resort to euthanasia can more easily arise. Neglect of the elderly or their outright rejection are intolerable. Their presence in the family, or at least their closeness to the family in cases where limited living space or other reasons make this impossible, is of fundamental importance in creating a climate of mutual interaction and enriching communication between the different age groups. It is therefore important to preserve or to reestablish where it has been lost a sort of covenant between generations. In this way, parents in their later years can receive from their children the acceptance and solidarity which they themselves gave to their children when they brought them into the world. This is required by obedience to the divine commandment to honor one's father and mother. But there is more. The elderly are not only to be considered the object of our concern, closeness, and service. They themselves have a valuable contribution to make to the gospel of life. Thanks to the rich treasury of experiences they have acquired through the years, the elderly can and must be sources of wisdom and witnesses of hope and love. Although it is true that the future of humanity passes by way of the family, it must be admitted that modern social, economic, and cultural conditions make the family's task of serving life more difficult and demanding. In order to fulfill its vocation as the sanctuary of life, as the cell of a society which loves and welcomes life, the family urgently needs to be helped and supported. Communities and states must guarantee all the support, including economic support, which families need in order to make their problems, to meet their problems in a truly human way. For her part, the church must untiringly 
promote a plan of pastoral care for families capable of making every family rediscover with rediscover and live with joy and courage its mission to further the gospel of life. Next time, part three of chapter four.